Hello again, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ball Caps and Bagpipes, a Scottish baseball podcast. I'm the Glasgow Comets, John McKellar. And I'm Baseball Scotland Hall of Famer, Jason Durr. Caps and Pipes, the runner-up in the first annual Bump Bailey Wax Pack Heroes Tournament of yeah, Awesome. We, we did pretty well. Uh, unfortunately, you had a mishap and were unable to make it. Uh, so I did my best. Uh, I went with our usual pack on the right, let them go first. But our luck finally ran out. I was proud of you, Jason, for the effort, all the same. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make it along for the final. Um how how was that experience? Uh, how did it go? Uh, it it was pretty tight. We we uh, as they had previously, where they had gotten to run of cards the same in both packs. We ran into that same problem there. Uh, and unfortunately, during that run, there wasn't a good card, so uh, you know, we lost. It was it was close. I think it was, it was still like fifteen cents off off that. But uh, there was no uh, Mark McGuire's or Bobby Benias to save the day this time. We'll always have Bobby Bonilla to remember. Um, it was a lot of fun, and hopefully we'll get a chance to do that again. Um, hopefully we'll get a chance to go that extra step next time as well. Um, today on the show, we are joined by a very special guest, um, a legend of the Scottish baseball scene, Mr Nick Clark. I know a guy that you spent a lot of time with back in the day. Um, I think a guy who managed you at one point, yeah? Yes, he did. He was my first manager when I first stopped. Uh Nick was uh, the team manager, uh, and then uh, he had some uh, family matters arise. And he had, you know, with the birth of his kids, and and kind of slowly handed me the reins to uh, allow me to first, you know, become the manager and then become league president. Excellent. Um, so that interview is just about an hour long. Um, so we're not going to be around the bush today. Um, do you have any favorite memories of your time with Nick? Oh, um. You know, Nick was always so friendly. He was he was always there and positive. Um, you know, he was always go get him, JD. And you know, I, for someone who hadn't played baseball in eight years, it was you know it was a boost. And uh, I have nothing but positive things uh, with the time with Nick. We had so much fun together. Um, uh, you know, it was a shame to see him go. And now that I have kids, I totally understand why he had to go. You just don't have that time, but. Um, uh, you know, I, maybe by the end of the episode, I'll, I'll come up with my favorite memory with Nick. But yeah, that, uh, um, yeah, we had some good times together. And Jason, our guest this week, Nick Clark, is on the show now. Good evening. Yes, the legendary Nick Clark. I can't wait to get him on. <laughs> for a grilling. Thank you for joining us on the show, Nick. Um, it's not a pleasure to get a chance to speak with you. Uh, much like uh, our previous guest, Graham, I don't think we've ever crossed paths. No, I don't think so. No. Um, so it's great to, to have you on the show. No, um, why don't you start by telling us how you first got interested in baseball and when? Oh, crikey. Um, a while ago. Um, and, um, well, let's think. So mid-80s, I think. I, I used to play for the City's American football team. And I guess I was looking for something else to do that was kind of American. And I played with what was at the time just the one softball team in the city before the, the softball leagues and things kind of took off, which was great to see. Um, and it was around 92, I think I joined what were the Edinburgh Reavers at the time when I was about I was around 18. Um, and uh, we're playing up at the Meadows. And yeah, I think the club had just come off back-to-back Scottish championships. And at the time I joined it, it was a chap called Donald Brocci who was the manager who uh, ran 
quarterback, which is quite a famous sort of American sports shop on the edge of the Meadows in Edinburgh. And sadly, Donald is no longer with us, which is a real shame. But yeah, he was he was, he was the skipper, and uh, we had a twelve-team league, an East and a West division, six teams in each, and uh, it was great. You know, it was you know, up and down the country, all over the place, playing ball. But then. My kind of involvement went a wee bit further because I kind of got involved and set up the juniors in Edinburgh, and um, which was great fun actually. Used to again there was a there was a sort of league of about six junior teams, Kirkcaldy, Dundee, Glasgow, ourselves. It was great, and uh, when Donald, I think for family reasons as much as anything else, decided to step away, I got volunteered and in inverted commas to be the new manager, and yeah. The, the poison chalice that Jason had for many years I had prior to him. So, yeah, it was all good fun. I thoroughly enjoyed the game. I think when I started out, I think I played a bit of first base and then moved around to centre field and the outfields, obviously nowhere near the, the left-hand side of the infield. I did occasionally catch with a first baseman's glove, which was fairly uh, intriguing, but thankfully there wasn't anybody that threw especially hard. But, uh, no, nah, yeah, I'd enjoyed it. I'd, I'd play anywhere. And I think... You know, as time goes on, it, it's really when you're the manager as well as a player, it's pretty tough, as Jason will know. You, you're, you're trying to keep everybody happy, and it's not easy to do, you know. So, as time goes on, you kind of have to step back yourself and put other people into play more than yourself. So, yeah, but I, I enjoyed playing. It was you know, the whole reason I did it was I wanted to play the game. It's just a brilliant sport, you know. So, Nick, I was going to ask you something because you mentioned yeah. the Meadows. Did you guys have training there, or did you actually play your games there? No, we trained there as well. Right. Um, uh, but of course, we had nothing, no mound, no nothing, you know. So um, then quite quickly, I think there was there was one foul ball that may have partially grazed somebody's car and they complained to the local councillor and that was that. We were turfed, but they had cricket up there, but that was fine. But baseball was thrown out. It's a shame, you know, so we had to move around quite a bit and... Like as you know, I'm sure everyone that's listening to this is involved in a baseball club in Britain. It's you know, it's it's tricky to get buy-in from sports people in Scotland or the UK because it's just you know, it's not perceived as a mainstream sport. You know, you'll get hundreds of football pitches, but ask for a baseball pitch and you'll get laughed out of town. So yeah, it's it, it's tough, you know. It's always tough, but yeah, with I'm pleased that you know the Edinburgh club is still going. You know that the the legacy of the people that set it up and it, it's sort of most current iteration I think was 86 but there's been baseball in Edinburgh back to the 30s you know so it's great that it's still going and going strong you know So um, how what what was it that caused you to transition from American football into baseball was it just that you preferred the baseball as a game or yeah. were you just tired well, of uh... I think getting beaten up well I was a white receiver so nobody came anywhere near me when I played football so it was alright so and they'd have to catch me first to hurt me but uh, um, certainly I mean the the American football team in Edinburgh at the time it was the Phoenix was the team I played for they were called and then I think they went bust and there was a summer where they never played and I thought oh, you know fancy doing something something else American the school I went to, it was either it was cricket in the summer and rugby in the winter, and that was your choice, you know, so I fancied doing something else. And I started with the softball, and the softball team used to play the baseball team every year in a sort of friendly match. And uh, it was Donald that said, you know, why don't you come and play with the baseball? So I went along to the training and loved it, you know, absolutely loved it. It was just, you know, the softball makes you feel like Babe Ruth because the ball's so easy to hit, but baseball's more of a challenge. And, yeah, 
just the, the sport itself just kind of draws you in, you know, there's a nice pace to it. And, you know, I was of an age where I could, I could spend six hours away playing as we all used to do. And, uh, yeah, just a, a, just a great sport to play and really good camaraderie as well, you know. There's was, was some really good people in the club and it was a really good atmosphere. For a young lad like me, it was great. So from your playing days then, are there any accolades or highlights that you would like to share? Oh, well, playing beside Jason, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's, it's a, an accolade that few can aspire to, you know? <laughs> I think I've with everyone in the league at least once. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, highlights to me, obviously, I mean, with what happened, unfortunately, you know, the, the sport, the number of clubs just died away for various reasons. And, I, you know, one of the things I think, and the, the, unfortunately, it still seems to be, you know, politics with a small P now, is that, you know, the cost of playing went up and up and up. Insurance went up, which meant we, you have to charge more fees. And I think that kind of scunnered a lot of other clubs across Scotland. And it seemed to end up that Edinburgh were the only team left. And we, we you know, we were travelling up and down, as Jason knows well, to, you know, nigh on Wales to play matches and just, you know, a, a long slog to, to play the sport you love. And, you know, around the time that we were doing that, one of the things that has stuck with me was when we played our international matches at Medibank. You know, soon to be departed Medibank Stadium. And that, that to me, that I, I do remember when we played, I think it was Ireland, we played the first match there. And we lost, but it was a great game. And I, I remember looking at the paper and we had the third biggest crowd in Scotland that weekend at a sporting event. Wow. There was something, there was something like 60-odd thousand at the Celtic match. There was, I think, because I think, Rain, I don't know why Rangers weren't playing. I think they were playing on the Monday or something, but I think there was about 10,000 at Easter Road for the Hibs game. And then there was us. There was three, about three and a half thousand at Medibank for our match. And I just thought, you know, whatever happens from here, I thought we've done bloody well to get that many in. Now, fair dues, we gave me so many free tickets, it was unbelievable. But we had a cracking atmosphere and it was three hours, a really good sport, really competitive, shoehorned into a tiny stadium for baseball with sort of funky rules for ground rule doubles and things like that. But, you know, I, I do remember taking that and thinking, thinking, well, we've done bloody well doing this, guys, you know. So for a, a wee minority sport that, you know, you mentioned to folk that you play baseball and you get the ubiquitous reply of, I never knew we had baseball in Scotland. And then you tell them you played in the Scotland team, I never knew we had a Scotland team, you know. But for us, for that sort of shining moment, you know, those, those sort of run of four games that we had each, one each year at Medibank were just brilliant. And we played England, an England team the following year and beat them. And that, what an atmosphere that was. It was just brilliant, you know. So getting two or three thousand into, a, a, you know, okay, fairly run down, but still was a, an illustrious venue like that was just tremendous and uh, a really good kind of experience to be involved in, you know. Because, I mean, I would say from what I know, I mean, you've got years on me from your experience here. I mean, that sounds like it quite possibly could be the largest baseball crowd that I know of. I mean, I don't know about downtown, but I mean, that's definitely got to be one of the largest baseball crowds I've heard of. I I think certainly in Scotland, yes, I think it was. Yeah, I I think it would be tough to talk. Um, I know when the sort you know, the... I think the 30s and 40s down south, they were getting 40,000, 50,000 to games for the, the, I think Littlewoods, the Littlewoods family used to sponsor the, the baseball leagues down south and they were getting, you know, you know well into the double digit crowds. Um, but yeah, for up here, yeah, I, I don't think that one will be 
it'd be there'd be nothing that would beat that. I know sort of the, the sort of matches in the thirties and forties were played out at like Kirk Newton Air Force Base and things like that. So there was a you know they were more sort of social events and. You know, but th- this was the first time that I know of that it was played in a proper stadium, and we we got a really good crowd, loads of kids there as well, which is great fun, and um, just a you know really good noise. You know, that's that's you know I, I was playing centre field that day, and I remember you kind of trot out and you you're warming up, and you're thinking, Craig, I don't want to miss my throw here because I look like a complete idiot. And <laughs> normally, normally you used to play in front of three folk and a dog, and all of a sudden you've got three or four thousand watching you. So it was. Uh, it was a great experience, and uh, it's a shame the bank's not there anymore because that is the kind of stadium where you could do something like that. You could work with the council, but you know, it's away now. You know, so shame, but still a, a great one, a great one to remember. So, Nick, uh, what are your favourite things about being a baseball player in Scotland? Um, what are some of the, and also on on the back of that, what are some of the kind of unique challenges that you guys faced back in the day that you would like to? Uh, let people know of yeah. um, that maybe we don't deal with nowadays. Obviously, we've covered the travel yep. um, quite a bit yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, are there any other kind of challenges that you can think of? Yeah, I mean, it was from back then. Back, I mean, back then, as wasn't ever thus, Scotland was kind of seen as an afterthought, and and that it never used to be because you know at the time when there was 12 teams in the league they all had a vote in the BBF and Scotland had a good presence and a chap called Kevin McAdam is still around now um, with the, I think it's the Northern Baseball League JD isn't it that he's uh, yeah it's the Bre- Baseball North or whatever you call it or BBL isn't it the BBL yeah so Ke- Kevin used to be the president of the BBF and he was brilliant and it was it, at, at, it was him and his then wife Wendy oops awkward uh, but uh, no longer together. Um, but they they ran it basically out of their front room, and it was brilliant. Kevin and Wendy had their proverbial together, and it was well run. Scotland had a presence; it was well looked after. You know, the Scottish League winners would get a you know the day after or the week after that you'd won the league, the trophies and the players awards and things like that would arrive and on your doorstep. And you know, so the next weekend you knew you could plan in your party and everyone could celebrate a, a great season and all the rest of it. And it was really well run and we were well respected. And, you know, we had a footprint. But then over the years, as the number of teams diminished and obviously the amount of money that, that Scotland was sending down south diminished, the support fell away. And, it, you know, it, it's, it's a real shame that, you know, it meant that we were always trying to ice skate uphill to, to get noticed and get support and get... Um, activity undertaken off the border and you can kind of understand it if there's you know 40 clubs in London they're not going to send a coach up to Edinburgh where there's you know two teams or you know four teams or whatever there was at the time but it still made it a a hell of a challenge to try and get traction for the sport up here and you you know you were always knocking on doors with Sports Scotland and things like that and it's a numbers game and if you haven't got the numbers you can't get the support but how can you get the numbers without the support you know it's the, the proverbial catch 22 so yeah that 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 was always a challenge and you know just by virtue of the kind of you know life we had to leave with the club I mean, we moved from the meadows down to seafield which you know talk about home field advantage it was right next to the civic amenity dump so if the wind was blowing in the wrong direction you'd have thrown up in the outfield because you'd be smelling sewage <laughs> or 
recycling, you know. It wasn't even exactly. open back then. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, a pretty place to play, but at least it was ours, you know, and then they turned that into golf. I think it's a golf centre now. So then we moved all the way out to, to Musselburgh, out to Preston Pans. So it's like, you know, we're like um this um, who are they? San Diego Chargers. They've got, you know, they're, they're San Diego, but they're not in San Diego anymore. You know, we, we move around more often than the Raiders. You know, so there's a real, a real challenge. It was a real challenge, and I think, you know, what Jason's done when he's taken it on has just been brilliant. And Paul, now, you know, that where the sport is, we've got a, a core to grow from, and that that's fantastic. You know, there's you know multiple teams in the big cities, and you know. Tayside coming on board and Aberdeen is it's brilliant. You know, it's getting back to where it used to be, and that that's really, really rewarding. That when I was involved for so long, it was just the one team. It was just the Diamond Devils, like an all-star brigade going up and down, crossing the border every second week, um, ravaging McDonald's from Newcastle to exactly. York. Yeah, <laughs> and off licenses on the way home. Um, but at least we kept it going. You know what I mean, we kept the sport alive here that then, you know, has allowed the development work that the guys have all put in on, across the country to allow the sport now to, to be in a better place. And, and thankfully, you know, we didn't have Twitter and all the rest of it when I was young. And that makes me sound ancient, but I'm not. Um, but yeah. <laughs> don't You're phone for, in. Um, to be in, um, uh, what is it, uh, the local paper every Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we get we get an article on the paper, and I still remember vividly. I remember the time we went to Shropshire, and I, I've told so many folk this story, but excuse me for trotting it out again. We won forty five nil in a game shortened to seven innings, and we'd left at like midday on the Saturday to go down, and we stopped about ten o'clock at our hotel in Stoke, I think it was, and then we got up early again on the Sunday and drove to the match. And we won the match at a canter. It was, you know, and the Shropshire guys were good guys, but, you know, we, we smoked them. And then we were driving home, and we had to drive home via Glasgow to drop off one of our players. And that was about midnight, and we were able to get the paper, Monday's paper, and it had our score in the paper, in the Monday paper, from the Sunday match that we weren't even home from yet. And that just messed with my mind to think, what the hell are we doing? You know, with 10 hours of driving to, to play a single match, and, you know, there was this kind of time warp where we're like, wait a minute, we're not even home from this match yet, but the, the scores in the following day's paper, it was just a bit of a, you know, I'll not use the phrase that I wanted, but it messed with your head, you know, it was just, just kind of brought home the kind of effort and the commitment that everybody was showing to kind of keep the sport good north of the border, you know, so. Yeah, Bill Williams about uh, yeah. that. I mean, I remember getting phone calls from him and saying, you know, doing a pre-game yep. interview to how, what we thought about the matchup and who was playing well and all yep. that. And that was yep. fantastic in that yep. little, you know, blurb in the paper every week to let you know, people know there was baseball here. I mean, I still have all the articles. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The scrapbooks and all the rest of it are great. And and that was it. You know, if you could get in the local paper, that was it. You were doing well. But now, obviously, you know, you guys doing this podcast. Who, who You know, if you told me that, you know, almost 30 years ago when I started, that we'd have live YouTube streaming of all the matches and a podcast talking about Scottish baseball on a weekly basis. It's just fantastic you know and that, that's I guess where technology has empowered sports that are not mainstream aren't on Sky and all the rest of it to, to then at least get a presence that people can find it 
in their own way, rather than, you know, if you're not on the paper, you've got no chance, you know. So, it's more, you know, it's brilliant. It's great to see that the guys that are, have taken it on have, have taken it as far as they have, you know. It's, it makes me feel pleased that, you know, the slog that we all put in all those years paid off. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, uh, you, I, I know how much time and effort you put into it, and then you handed me the reins. I, I know, myself. hard lines. <laughs> 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 there you go, GD. <laughs> you, know, you upgraded yourself, though. I was just the what was I? Can't remember what I was. Regional development officer, but then you were the president. Yeah, I had to give myself a nice title. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You bumped yourself right up the list. <laughs> Six figure salary. <laughs> Three pound forty. Yeah. Yeah. Good times, though. Good times. You know, a great sport, good people. You know, you don't tend to get too many plonkers involved in baseball because if you're a plonker in baseball, you get a ball in the air. And it's a really good way of sorting, sorting folk out that think they're really big times. And, um, you know, it, uh, it's a great level. One thing I always want to say is, like, when guys were like, oh, I'm new to the sport and I want to try out, I was like, you just need to go because, I mean, I'm guessing like you, you know, I've made lifelong friends from – so, you know, I mean, the guys you played ball with back in 91, I'm sure you're still in touch with and yeah. still talk about Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we can all remember when we had a howler and then we all remind each other when we had a howler. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I mean, this, it does sound, it sounds daft to say it, but baseball is the reason why I've got a wife and kids. Because that, you know, I read Nolan Ryan's book and that, you know, and he he was, you know, the kind of god of fitness and all the rest of it. And I thought, oh, that's really good. And it got me into my training and it got me into that. I studied a master's in sports science and that. that I then met my wife through the sort of line of work that I had on the back of that. So if it hadn't been for Nolan Ryan, it hadn't been for baseball, like, who knows where my life would have gone, you know. So it's it, I've got a lot to thank it for. That's a great story. The, the, you, if I mention the name Tom House, do you, do you know who that is? Yes, I know exactly. And I, I wrote to him when I was doing my master's, and what he sent me was unbelievable. That, that, that's he no sent me, sorry, story out of you, Nick, because I don't know who John knows who Tom House is. Where I, I oh, right. well, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Tom House's name does ring a bell, yeah. but I don't know who he is exactly. Yeah. He was the, he's the kind of father or godfather, as it is, of pitching mechanics. And he, he was Nolan Ryan's pitching coach who helped write the book, the the, the, the Nolan Ryan Pitching Bible, the book that, that got me into, you know, the sort of fitness side of things and training and things like that. And he, uh, he I like I say, I wrote to him in 95 when I was doing my master's and he sent me a, it was a sports psychology stuff and he sent me a pile of paperwork that I'd used to, to help get me through that and it was just fantastic but just to actually have a letter from him as much as anything was you know motivating to think that he'd taken the time to to write and uh, provide you know share his knowledge and I mean he he was the one I remember famously he he, he was the kind of father of using computing to, to for biomechanics and things like that and he he worked out that at the time Randy Johnson was letting the ball go a foot shorter from the plate than Jim Abbott now, any, you know, anyone over the age of about 30 is not going to know, or younger than 30 is not going to know who Jim Abbott is, but Jim Abbott only had one hand. He was a lefty pitcher, but he's still the the fastest sounding pitcher I've ever seen. I remember seeing him pitching at, at the then Sky Dome in the, in the bullpen, and it was like gunfire. You could hear him from the other, other side of the stadium. And for him to analyse that somebody who's six foot two 
is that further ahead in his delivery than a guy who's six foot ten. You know, you knew that if, if, if he re then recognised that Randy needed work, and by God, it, he turned it around all right because uh, he was pretty useful once he got it together. <laughs> he had an okay career. <laughs> Yeah, had an okay career. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> not bad. 300 wins. Yeah, we'll take that. So, yeah, I mean, it's a great sport. And, you know, like I say, a great leveller as well. And there aren't many sports like that. Um, you know, they used to say about rugby that you could have, um, you know, there, there, was a, there was a position in rugby for every shape. If you're tall and skinny, you're in the second row. If you're a wee speedster, you're with a scrum hat. If you're slow and curvy, you're in the front row. And uh, not now in modern rugby, but, you know, that is still the case in club rugby. But baseball is, is one of those where there is a position for you, regardless of your body shape. You know, if, you, if you're a speedster, you're in the outfield. If you can throw a bit, you're on the mound. If you're the glamorous, you know, god, then you're at shortstop. If you're, you know, if, if you're chunky, then you're the catcher. You know, there is, there is a position for you and it is a good sport. If, as long as you put the bat in the ball, you're okay. Well, the chunky guy is supposed to play catch. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've been, I've been doing this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's for penance. Yeah. Get over there and get back up, uh, and ruin you. <laughs> yeah, or first base, first base, you know. Cool. <laughs> so, Nick, uh, we've touched on your playing career. Um, why don't course. you talk to us about your transition into managing because I think that's probably where you really hit your stride in Scottish baseball and my career. Yeah, I've yeah, done, done a bit of that. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, mean, I think the, the, the challenge is that, you know, especially when we had the Edinburgh team going up and down, we were taking 15, 16 boys away and you're trying to get them as much playing time as you can. And that's the challenge. But um you, and you can't keep everybody happy, but you do your very best, and you don't want folk to get cheesed off. And that—that's you know that's the benefit of the structures that are in place now is that there's plenty of playing time to be had to, to keep people happy. Um, whereas back then there wasn't so much, and, and because you got the committed ones, you got the bloody good players going. So it's like, well, crikey, how how am I going to be able to fit X, Y, and Z into the lineup and keep them happy? And at least we played double headers, so at least there was plenty of innings on the go. But then you get new folk coming along, so you're like, well, okay, I, I want to get them in because I want to, you know, want them to enjoy the game and stick around. And I think I'll stuff this. I'm paying my subscription and I'm not getting any playing time. I'm getting to train every week. What to do? People want to play, you know. You just want to play matches, and that's a, that can always be a challenge. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed, you know, I really enjoyed the, the managing side of things, and and I had some great experience with that as well. I mean, jail, no about our European adventures and the one I think I don't you went on Braska DD yeah. you? but that, that was two thousand and three and that was that was brilliant. That was the first ever Scottish team to play in European competition and it it was you know what a level. It raised everybody's level. We were absolutely knackered. But we you know it was a fabulous experience to play I can't remember what it was, five games in six days or something like that. And you're used to playing one game a week. So all of a sudden we're playing against teams that had, you know, pro players and things like that. And we, we got creamed in most of them. We held our own in a couple. And, uh, but, you know, the, the effort and commitment that the guys put in was just brilliant. And um, Coach Ron, who's, I don't know, Ron's been spoken about on the podcast. Not piece, a whole, but we were in touch with Coach Ron and Coach Jeff when we got a chance. <laughs> Good idea. I mean, Ron, Ron was brilliant. He's because, he, you know, He's he's exactly the kind of person that 
Scottish baseball, I think, has always wanted to try and tap into. In the way that the Irish have done very well to tap into their Irish links to North America, there's clearly a lot of Scottish links there that we, you know, we've long hoped to, to tap into. And Ron, Ron found us rather than the other way around, and he came on the Brass Cat trip. And it was great for me because he, you know, he, he ran the show, and that allowed me to learn from him whilst playing. And it meant I could really enjoy the experience rather than worrying about, you know, you know the the managing side of things. But then, so having had his kind of mentorship certainly helped and um, allowed me to kind of sort of transition a wee bit away from you know the playing side of things after that, and you know managed to get involved with Swarthmore in uh, the states as well. So I had a great experience over there. You know being a base coach for them on a on a spring break tour that they had to Florida and that, that was just that was a that was a real bucket list for me that one because that was you know I'd, I'd always loved college baseball I think it's just brilliant the sort of passion that they have for it in the States and that just gave me a wee flavour and wee taste of it and at the time the team wasn't very good but then Stan Exeter the head coach there turned it around and they've, they've got a fabulous programme now so yeah, that was it was all good. So yeah, I, I enjoyed the managing side of things, but it's still a, you know, it's quite stressful as well trying to keep everybody happy. So yeah, so, so you mentioned Coach Ron. You probably want to give a, a back on, on Coach Ron and uh <laughs> Coach Ron. Be like, Who's this Coach Ron? The old guys won't know Coach Ron and I've got vivid memories of Coach yeah. Ron myself. Coach Ron. Co- Coach Ron does deserve a website all of his own, really, to tell his backstory. Ron was what was he? He was an LA cop, he was in Vietnam. And he was a baseball coach, and he had more stories to tell you about getting shrapnel and in funny places and all the rest of it. And he and he's a cowboy as well. So I, I still remember the summer Ron came over, and the the amount of publicity we got on the back of Ron being here was incredible, because he just wandered around the city in his devil's baseball kit and his stetson. It's cool. And um, yeah, I mean, the papers loved them and it was, you know, really good exposure for us. And I think what Ron added was a bit of legitimacy in that he was clearly a baseball person who was involved in baseball over here rather than it just being a bunch of Scottish amateurs. Here's someone that has been involved in high level baseball and knew his stuff and had the confidence to, to show that he knew his stuff. And, you know, at the time, again, pre-Facebook, pre-Twitter, all the rest of it, you know, it was the local paper and the local paper did full page stories on us and stuff on the back of Ron being here. It was just brilliant, you know, a really good boost to, um, you know, what we were trying to do. But yeah, he's, he's, Ron is the man. That's all we should say. You should try and get him on one time. Is he doing well? (laughs) I haven't heard from him. Yeah, he is doing well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, he hasn't kept the best of health, but yeah, no, I've been chatting away with him, and he, he is doing well. And he's, he's, um, yeah, he's, you know, he's a fighter. By God, that man is a fighter, and uh, he's he's still he's still going strong. So um, much missed because we don't see him here very often. But uh, he's he's a good guy, a really good guy with a lot of passion and love for our sport over here. And and you know, yeah, he was quite a character. So so my memory. It's the first train because you guys were in Broshcott, and I I emailed you right. and then didn't hear back for two weeks, and then I said, "Oh yeah, yeah sorry, we were in Europe playing baseball." <laughs> oh okay, all right. <laughs> Sounds all right. So I, I went to Hollywood Park because yeah. that's where training was at back then, and uh, yes. all I yep. know is there's this big Texan dude that had a baseball cap and a kilt on. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> swing the what was it? it said, swing the bat was what Ron used to say. You'd hear him from the dugout. Swing the freaking bat, and because uh, nothing he hated more than folk watching a pitch go by. So he he kind of you know over here you knew if 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 you were cute because the pitching wasn't that good, you could always work a walk. And you could always get on base and you think, oh, yeah, beauty, I'm, you know, I'm Mark Maguire. I've made it to first base. But Ron was, he was very different. He was like, no, no, you've got to hit your way on. And uh, it kind of changed their approach. And, you know, that that was the biggest lesson we learned when we were on that grass cat trip was that, you know, you can't just sit there and take five pitches and know you're going to get a walk. You're going to have to hit your way on because these guys were good. These guys were bloody good. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience, and uh, having him there certainly helped kind of galvanise people, and we played a lot better after we, we realised what the level of competition we were up against was like, and very, very good indeed. So to summarise, Coach Ron, not a sabermetrics guy? No, then. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah, old school, definitely, but I bet you if Ron was still coaching now, by God, he'd have his face <laughs> in the laptop, because he, because he, I mean, I, I still remember when Ron came over, he was he brought um, loads of sort of things with him that we were like, what the hell is this? And it was like hula hoops with with plastic balls on them and things like that. Because Ron had worked with a guy that had done sports vision training and he, he used these things in practice. And so if you could imagine like a like a small hula hoop, like the size of a dinner plate, but with a, a, a sort of... Eight, like a BP ball, like a pla- like a plastic ball on one side. So when you threw it to someone, it would kind of oscillate in the air. So if someone threw it to you, you you're like flipping it. So of course everybody missed it the first few times you throw it. But then after a while, your vision gets trained to track the ball, and you were catching it. And I still remember we used the practice. And by the end of it, he had another hoop as well, with different coloured balls on it, and he'd throw it. And as he threw it, he would tell you green. And you had to catch the green ball. You couldn't just catch the hoop in the ball. You had to catch the green ball. And by the end of it, everybody was doing it. And it was like, it was just a whole different way of approaching the, you know, the, the training and making it better. And even if you, instead of just standing there taking BP and everybody getting bored, you could work on different things to improve your game every week. And it, it made a big difference, you know. And it was even, you know, even if you, if you, if you couldn't do it, at least you tried it, and it was it was just a kind of different approach to doing things that, you know, now in all sport, you know, that no stone is left unturned in you know in, in terms of player development and training, even for amateurs, you know, the the sort of stuff that you can do with your smartphone now can improve people's sport in so many ways. <clears throat> but really, we didn't have that back then. When so when somebody came over and brought it with them, it was you know it was a real boost. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. I think Ron, yeah, old school, but yeah, you know, you know what they say about new dogs and all that are old dogs. But uh, he 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 had a few tricks up his sleeve. Don't, don't don't put him down for that. Yeah, no, I definitely miss that. I remember any time, much Coach <laughs> yeah. Ron was here, and when Coach Jeff as well, you know, when we had them yeah. for two weeks, like that, we'd play great for about a month, and then <laughs> forget about yeah. all the stuff they. <laughs> Yeah, it would fall off a cliff towards the end but, of the know, season. It was, yeah, it was the, the stuff behind it that, of course, we never had the coaching to pass on to the players that we do. I mean, like yeah. I, I really connected with uh, Coach Jeff because he was all about the psychological side of things, and you know, and it was just like okay, yeah. you know, when I when I you hit the ball, say hit, you know, let's say pitch hit, and you know, and that worked, and that got a lot of people, you know, just be able to, to focus on that and 
And, you know, I tried to implement that training once. I got laughed out of the place there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I mean, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it is such, I mean, baseball is such a complicated sport, but it's simple at its core. And it, it's how much of the complicated stuff do you bring in? You know, it's it, even, you know, simple things like, you know, I can't remember how many times you'd sort of drill into folk that you go, you know, down and fair, you know, down and fair or back or down and foul and back and fair, you know, from third base. So if there's a line drive and you don't get hit and get called out and the number of times folk would still get hit and you're like, Jesus, <laughs> practicing this for ages. But it's just, you know, and it's a tricky sport because folk are thinking, oh, I'm only 90 feet away from scoring. I'm dead excited. And it's like, being able to kind of take that breath and realize that yes, it is a bang bang sport, but you actually have more time than you think. Um, but that that's hard. That that takes experience. It's definitely an experienced sport. You know that um, you okay as your fitness might diminish as you get older, but your skills can increase. So there's that. You know you make up for things, and that that's how you know you get veteran ball players and look at Jason that are uh, able to <laughs> still still compete at an older age because they know the game and that you, you and you can't just sort of plug it into somebody and say they are you're all right off you go you're ready to play um, yeah. and it's a tricky yeah. one, it's so a tricky John, one I didn't do myself any favors the first training uh, I, I hadn't thrown a ball in probably four or five years definitely had not picked up a bat up in eight years and coach Ron rolled me out and go okay you'll be your arms fresh then you're throwing batting practice so <laughs> so the BP the uh-huh. group not knowing what to expect and then when it was my turn to bat like uh, the skill set was still there and I was just lasering line drive after line drive I was just like look I'm not this good <laughs> yeah <laughs> nah once you've got it you've got it GB. Yeah, you never lose it I, hitting, I just you know, never had it but then uh, that's the way I always tell people you know it's like look I, I, I went and played you know ball pretty much six months out of the year, you know, I played six days a week, you know, I, my swing down, it wasn't the muscle yep. memory is all there. And so when you just go to training yep. and you may see 20 balls in the brain practice, so I said, well, yeah, but you can get a hundred cuts off a tee, you know, do that twice a week. You know, that skill set will just increase so much more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and because, you know, the kind of traditional kind of season approach in the States is very condensed from a young age. You know, you look at you look at the kind of little league season. It's really condensed to free them up before the summer, and that's it done. And then they go away and play football or hockey or whatever. And then same for high school and college. You know, it's it's quite a condensed season. So for us, you know, we'd start freezing cold training in February and finish September, October sometimes. You know, and you're like, what's oh, a slog? You know, and and you're absolutely right. Being able to kind of condense your training is is a far better way. You know. A little more often is better than you know a exactly, lot once yeah. a week. Yeah. So to move the conversation no, on, it's... then um, let's talk about the genesis of the Scottish National yep. League. Um, now, to what extent were you involved in the creation of the league? Um, and uh, after your departure, and when Jason took the reins, how much did he lean on you, uh, if at all, uh, for kind of guidance? <laughs> <like a stone? laughs> <laughs> Like chop liver, beat it. I've got it. No, not at all. Um, to be honest, I mean, I really can't remember. I think I, I think the National League stuff all kind of started again after I kind of started to slip away, and that 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 was due to 
children. And because uh, I, I still think we were playing in England when I kind of had my last games. Um, and, you know, GD, to God love him and to his eternal credit, took it on and, you know, and, and grew it. And, you know, and focused north of the border, you know, which is just fantastic, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, I, the, I, I'm, not, I'm not taking any credit for getting the National League going back up here. I'll, I'll just take the credit for keeping it going before it was created. And uh, yeah, but, you know, the, the genesis was there, you know, the, the Glasgow teams had kind of come and gone and, and played in the National Leagues down south and kept going and then we team up for Scotland teams and things so there, there was definitely a there was a seat there to grow from and uh, you know on the guys they, they, they've you know they've pushed it on and you know you look at you look at the clubs now north of the border they've all got a, a decent home ground they've got good baseball people they've got you know potentially multiple teams you know there's there's a there's a lot of resilience built in now, whereas before it was the, you know, yes, there might have been 12 teams um, in the league at one time when I was playing, but it was they had nine guys. So if we, Frankie, had a rough night the night before, then all of a sudden they, they weren't able to play, whereas now there's much more depth in the sport. And I think that can only help because of the exposure that it gets now over here. You know, the major leagues and the telly and all the rest of it. It's much more pervasive than it was. I mean, I, I remember buying USA Today to see the scores. You see, it just seems daft now, you know. So, yeah, and no, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking much credit for bringing the, the Scottish Baseball League back together, but uh, I think that, that there's there's plenty of other people that have done no, far no, more. No, you're, you're definitely downplaying this, Nick. But... So. <laughs> I have been I might have been the manager of the team because I said you, you had uh, I think you had Chris then and then uh, and so you were definitely involved with that so you were doing all the stuff in the background so Nick would just fill me in every once in a while this is what's going on here and uh, when it was the culmination of us losing uh, to Brighton because we refused to play in Manchester. oh yes yes what a yeah, harsh that, that was it because and that was, that was it. it. And then with, yep. with them, with the BBF deciding, or the BBF North deciding that we were forfeiting by not going to Manchester, at the same time, the GBA guys yep. were old enough to play in the adult league and with Strathclyde uh, not letting to travel anymore. So I think you yep. were doing all the stuff in the background yeah. there to kind of keep that all organized. And I was just happy go lucky going, all right, we got a team. <laughs> Let's play ball. <laughs> because I mean, yeah. you, but you know what? Know what's going on? The, I had no idea. I was just happy with baseball. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I still I remember that that yeah that that God, that was a good few years ago. Yeah, where they they said that we'd had we'd had too many forfeit wins, so they weren't going to give us second place, which meant that instead of us hosting a match, we then had to travel. And yeah, there was going to be Brighton, and Brighton said they weren't coming to Edinburgh, but they play us in Manchester. So we were like, stuff that a home game in Manchester. Yeah, I don't that, think so. It said, you know, it wasn't so, our yeah. forfeit. You know, uh, a lot of people don't yeah. you know, realize. You know, we we were always up for a trip down south. I mean, we never forfeited the game. We always had the yep. numbers. Uh, we're always there, and it all of yep. a sudden it'd be Sunday morning, nine o'clock, going. Ah, oh, you know, uh, it, it looks like it might rain up there. We're not going to come. Yeah. So. Absolutely, or or they phone from Newcastle and think, "Nah, we're not bothering." <laughs> You're like, "What?" <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but, yeah, but, and again, that that again, 
perhaps, and you know, not wishing to sort of go down any nationalistic routes, but I think that was kind of evidence of the the loss of clout that we perhaps had north of the border at one time, that uh, just kind of disappeared. I mean, I still remember the brass cat trip when we was it brass cat or was it the year after when you went to Rua? I can't remember. But our net, we literally got back on the Monday, and the following weekend we were meant to be down to Shropshire again. So we were looking at like a ten-hour drive, and it's, and I think I think we actually said, "Nah, we're not coming for that one," because it was just, you know, there was no kind of support of clearing the schedule or making sure you had home games or something either side of going to Europe or something. It was just like, come on, you know, common sense. You know, the fact that we went allowed Great Britain to retain its places in European competitions for, you know, we went for four years with only British team to go for four years straight. And it allowed GB to maintain its presence, and there was n- never got thanks for it. And as you rightly point out, GD, we got pooped on from a great height on a number of occasions. And yeah, so yeah, that, that, that I do remember that. That was the kind of genesis to kind of go. <laughs> yeah. we're off. So John probably doesn't know this. So it, it used to be, you, if you were the BBF champion, you had first shot at going to Europe. So I think it was France. We yep. went to Rouen. I think we were like seventeenth in the line. Yeah, and then something like that. Like yeah, when we went to um, uh, was it uh, Antwerp? We were like the fortieth team of the long, down the line, and we're like, yeah, go back, no problem. Yep, 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 no problem at all. Yep, I think we were hired at the pecking order when we went to Braska because we'd won. I think we won the the Northern Division One or something the year before. But yeah, you're right, and but then, you know, that's. <laughs> I, I regularly would say to the BBF people, you know, there's a willingness in our club to go. You know, we 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 are, we enjoyed the European experience and we will go. And you know, I know it does you a favour, BBF, if we continue to go. But uh, yeah, didn't get much no, thanks. No, no, uh, those trips were were a blast. Mm. You know, Rouen was a, a fantastic trip, yeah. and, and and Graham had mentioned it in our last interview that he he thought it would be great to get everyone back together for a <laughs> a, a recount of that uh, weekend. Oh yes, uh, yeah. But it was the. Uh, I seem to recall the tales of the drive through McDonald's where you all pretended <laughs> to be a bus. That, there was karaoke. Uh, there was Pat. If you remember Chris Pat. Um, and the... Yeah. Yes, the stinking yeah. hat, wasn't so, it? You know, there, there's a lot of stories there, uh, and and that'd be good. <laughs> yeah, that that has to be the uh, bagpipes uh, after dark podcast. Well, yeah, we talked about that, and we thought you know I, I think it'd be fun to get everyone kind of back on if we could. It would do it and kind of reminisce yeah. the trip because yeah, the, those European trips that they don't happen anymore. No, no, and you know, and fair, you know, fair play to Paul, you know, taking on the the national team going away down south and winning that tournament against the other leagues from the UK. That's just brilliant, you know. That's the kind of thing that um, we need. You know, it's not. You know, it's not a formal competition. It's it's more fun. It's bringing different people together from different clubs into the Scotland team, but then bringing different teams together down south as well, you know, and, and bridging that gap. And I, I think, you know, I mean, I, I still keep my ear to the ground as to what's going on in the BBF and there just seems to be carnage in there, you know, and I, I think the more that um, Scottish baseball can do that suits itself, the better, rather than, uh, you know, feeling as if it needs to align with any, you know, anybody else. Um, unless it suits it to do it, you know. So, and I think that's what's happening. But I, so I think that's also a lot of hard work that you put in, and myself put in, and Paul put in, and all three of us. You know, I mean, this is this would 
12th season of the league. Yeah. Tell you know, wow. Tonight really? you're getting other <laughs> leagues looking up our way and going, look, Scotland's been doing it for 12 years now. Uh, and, you know, that, that blows yeah. them away to know yeah. that there's been something other. And, you know, one thing Paul had mentioned, I can't remember if he mentioned the podcast or to myself, that um, he got a lot of kudos when they won that tournament. Because, like, I, you know, we, we knew of you guys up there, but we didn't realize how good you guys actually were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Craig, if you if you take the best players in all the Scottish teams that I know of that are still playing just yeah. now, you'd have a but, hell of a team. I mean, when I did the the, the, the top, you know, uh, positions there, I know there was people I left off. And, you know, um, one thing someone pointed out said you didn't actually list yourself on the team. I said, well, you know, there's actually, <laughs> yeah. you know, if it went position by position, I couldn't find a spot for myself. Yeah. Oh, come on, to be not the pitcher. Uh, Who yeah, did you there, pick? There's a pitcher. Been a few pitchers that could uh, throw a little bit harder than <laughs> there. You know, <laughs> and, and there was you know uh, the middle relief guy that could pitch. You know, <laughs> give me that. <laughs> did you put Doogie in? <laughs> you know, Doogie, no, Doogie did not. You know, for my pitcher, I went with Davey Farr. Uh, yeah. Yep. Good shout. Good shout. Yep. Mister Consistent. Fantastic so, yeah, pitcher. So. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you look at the people that have come through the systems, you know, from when you started and I started, you know, it, there, there's some, you know, yeah. it would be a pretty fantastic team. It would almost any team you put would in be, front yeah. of. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, I mean, I was I was well stoked for for Paul when the team went down south and won because I think I reminded him. I think that's the first thing Scotland had won wow. since the thirties. Because the the Scotland team used to play England every year in the sort of thirties and forties, and that was when there was the kind of pro leagues down south, and the Scottish team used to beat them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not that I'm laughing, but yeah. So um, yeah, so I mean that was that was a fabulous thing, you know. Really good to see, not BBF sanctioned, you know, just baseball coming together for the for the best of baseball, you know, so for people's enjoyment and. Uh, you know, hopefully they'll do more of that. At all post COVID, obviously, yeah. as we're all stuck, no baseball on the telly, no baseball to play. And do you get along to the field for games? I, still, not these as days much now? as I used to. Um, I, I occasionally appear like Lazarus just to kind of see, make sure Wolfie's still alive, and then uh, know that all is well <laughs> in the world, and I can go home because he's still there, and he doesn't look any different from when he when I first met him thirty years ago. Um, now you mentioned yeah. Wolfie. Do you have any uh, particularly prevalent <laughs> memories of him? <laughs> um, <laughs> how long you got? Um, well, I still remember the time we. <laughs> I was my first Scotland team pick was maybe ninety or oh, ninety three, ninety four, and we went up to Kirkcaldy to train. And Wolfie took us training and we were doing relays, you know, standard and rows throwing the ball to each other. And we were doing relay lobs. Now, in a game, you would never lob a ball to somebody that kind of goes up and over really slowly. You'd, you'd fire it in. But he had us doing that and we were like, what was this? And then we ended up playing the Kirkcaldy team, who were a bloody good baseball team. Um, they were all minors, so they were all hard as nails. But you knew to beat Kirkcaldy, you just need to stick around towards the end of the game and they would tire and fatigue because, let's just say they went drinking Lucasade as the match was going on. <laughs> so you knew you could always come back and beat them in the end. And they played us, and it was the day before we played England, and they 
absolutely smoked us. And they were like, you guys are going to get pumped tomorrow. And we were like, geez, oh, what's going to happen? And we did. We played England and we got absolutely cremated. <laughs> they were just superb. Um, and it, but just, you know, the Wolfman, uh, he was, yeah. I don't think he was cut out to be a manager. Don't know if he's cut out to be an umpire either, but don't tell him I said that. But, but I love him to bits and he loves the sport. And, he, you know, and he's characters that, you know, dot your kind of involvement in the sport that you remember who are good people, who love the game, who are involved in it for all the right reasons and continue to be involved in it. Don't ask for anything, don't want for nothing, but still they, they clearly get a lot out of it. So for all the uh, for all the moans about a strike zone being fairly vague, he's he's a good man, a good baseball man. He does he does definitely have a an interpretive yeah. Or well, an abstract uh, idea of the uh, yeah. he's like an abstract artist when it comes to the, the strikes. The, the pro tip, <laughs> the pro tip for pitching when uh, Wolfie's pitching is to throw a curveball because it starts out of his head and he duck out the road and not look at it and then go strike. <laughs> See, Jason, he's just outed your entire <laughs> career as a fraud. <laughs> if I had somebody else there, I probably would. <laughs> yeah. There was, a, there was a chap who used to play for Edinburgh called Danny, Danny Shipper. And if Danny listens into this, he, he'll remember this. Danny could throw real hard, real hard. The hardest pitcher I've ever played with. Fantastic player. And uh, he would deliberately peg Wolfie in the, in the mask. He'd, he'd tell, you know, he'd tell, he'd tell the uh, catcher, just let this one go. I'm going to fire it high and peg him in the mask. So anything close, strike, strike. Because he just didn't want to get hit again. <laughs> so like he's so you know what I mean so but uh, inside knowledge so there you go everybody can use that one now okay. <laughs> him in the head yeah our first trip to Edinburgh this yeah. year how'd you play Jason put, put, put me on the ground for, for, a, for a minute for a are you, are you crazy right. are you fucking nuts and I was just like no no tr- trust me trust me sorry Bobby. yeah but of course, knowing, knowing my luck, I'd probably try to throw it at his face and end up throwing uh, it Yeah, perfect, right down the middle. Yeah. Now, you need to remember he is Beetlejuice, so he is invincible and, you know, can't be killed. So, <laughs> yeah, you hit him as much as you like, he'll keep coming back. It is to be devoutly hoped that that's the case. Uh, he's an absolute legend Indeed. of a boy. The only thing that gets him is silver. <laughs> um, we're Nobody's. about to wrap up. Um what would you say that you would like your legacy in Scottish <laughs> baseball to be, Nick? Uh, he tried. He wasn't very good, but he tried. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think oh, like yeah. any kind of sports, I mean, administrator or anything like that, you know, I, I, I got out of it what I wanted to get out of it in terms of enjoying the game and playing it. I wasn't very good, but I loved the sport, still loved the sport, loved the people involved in the sport. And uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And like I said, I've got a lot to thank it for. But all, all you can try and do is you take, you take it out of the hands of the people that were looking after it before you and try and make it better for handing on to the people after you. And, and you know, and, and I think I did that. So I'm quite happy with that. And uh, the boys that have taken it on have done a grand job since then. So, they, you know, obviously didn't break it enough for them to be struggling. So you know, a bit of a result, <laughs> I'll take that. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, Nick, but we have a Hall oh, of Fame you? now. Craig. Have you 
had any contact from Paul about the possibility? Uh, that well, it's about seeking time, I think, to be honest. But you know, <laughs> geez, oh, I mean, I take it. Are we talking like brass busts I, in a museum somewhere? I, you know, <laughs> I don't. I, I mean, Jason so, uh, is a Hall of Famer. You know, tell us exactly. your legacy and my legacy of trying to get a damn field built. <laughs> <laughs> whenever that does happen there, yes. there is talk of putting up like a plaque up there yeah. for, for everyone that's on it might not be I a bloody gravestone by the time that happens I mean, gosh, I, I still remember doing <laughs> kind of for pressing fans <laughs> yeah that would be good here and, and then the yeah mountain. I know <laughs> yeah this, I know then they stole the mound I know fantastic did, did Graham tell the story about when he found the no, fiction rubber have- at um, no, we'll have more no time. Pressing pans. That <laughs> yeah, that 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 to me that is a it sums G up in a nutshell, but B that just sums up Scottish yeah. baseball I, all I, the way. We'll, we'll finish the story off here, just... John, and then we'll get to Grandma another time. Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Um, now no before worries. you go, Nick, uh, Jason has compiled a couple of questions oh, from, from the assembled masses Jeez, oh. uh, on Facebook. I'll be, I'll be defriending uh, them. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna fire over to Jason and he can ask you why would you the rubber? And we'll we'll see what the guys wanted to know. And uh let's see what he said. Uh Chris Lee wants to know, have you done karaoke since you cleared it out in Broshot? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, that's definitely parked. There's no X Factor appearance coming soon. That was god, uh, that was Nick god Watson awful. I want to know if, if you had any uh, scary incidents driving down to England in a team bus. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Oh, you could do a whole podcast on that one. The worst one was Quigley um, relieving himself in a milk carton and then. Uh, Proceeding to empty it down, or out, attempting to empty it at seventy miles an hour outside the minibus, um, not understanding the full sort of vectors of wind forces, and having his particular donation to the countryside running down the side of the bus for about a hundred miles, forcing us <laughs> to keep the windows shut. So. Yeah, no. I, thankfully, I wasn't in the bus. The one that went a, a, either went across the roundabout or B was saw the bad car crash. But no, the the, the bus, the bus. What's happened on the bus stays on the bus. That was uh, yeah, that was either life affirming or life ruining. I have yet to work <laughs> right, it we'll out. I want to ask one more here, and this comes from Graham. Wants to know if you're going to be Go controlling center field at the next old timers game. Nice, definitely. Definitely. Actually, you'd, actually, today it must must be fairly um, prescient that I found my glove today, oh, wow. and my Edinburgh hat. So yeah, so yeah. No, I, I was yeah. I think post COVID, I think there's a lot of things everybody would be like, I want to do this, I want to do that. So I think definitely throwing a yeah, ball no, around I, would be I a, a should, good thing we, to do. If, if we get together, get large groups again, I, I think we should definitely get full timers game in. Uh, yeah. Just just to do it because I mean I, I think it's been yep. about four or five years since we did the last. Yeah, since the last one. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be really good. To that point, actually, and you've just reminded me, Jason, um, we got confirmation from David Farr that he is indeed uh, coming back this year. <laughs> they said that. They said that about Half-Life 3, and we're still waiting. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's... 
<laughs> well, we we have it. We have it um, on very good authority from the man himself uh, that he is indeed going to be coming back comes, this year. I believe it's the place for it, the breakers. If he comes back, you'll you'll need to move the fences back because Davy famously one time turned up, and I'm, I'm I don't mind ha- leaving him hanging here. He uh, turned up once for a game after we'd all gotten down to the field early and marked it out and put the home run fence up and all the rest of it. And he was, he was strolling across. He went, you'll need to move the fences back, to which he was told to go forth and come fifth. So, yes, <laughs> ever a pitcher who wants as big a field as possible to keep the ball yes. in the yard. Yeah. <laughs> Get lost. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Um, no, there's nothing else from, from me, Jason. Would you like to ask yeah, anything good, else? Good yeah. No problem. My pleasure. Anytime. Thanks. John, thanks so much for coming. Very much on the show, as well. Nick. We'll definitely no, have you back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Happy stories. to. <laughs> Hope everybody's safe <laughs> and well. Cheers. You too, man. Thanks very much for coming Cheers. on the show Bye. again. Bye. CJ. So again, that was our interview with the legendary Nick Clark, former Diamond Devil, former manager. And uh, something of a mentor to you, Jason. Uh, that was great. I, that was fun reminiscing with Nick. We talked on some, touched on some good times we had. Uh, you know, I, Nick handed me the reins. Uh, you know, barely knowing me to let me take over as manager, and then you know, end up being president of the league. So, um, yeah, Nick laid the groundwork, and I just took the ball and kept running with him. So uh, that was awesome. I, I hope we get Nick back on again. Excellent man. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it was great having him on. Great to get a chance to, once again, like uh, Graham last time out, to speak to someone who I've never met and have never been able to spend any time at the ballpark with. Um, it's always great to hear stories like that from uh, back in the day when you guys were setting the foundation for what became the league that you know I'm now playing in. So I really appreciate uh, being able to get a chance to speak to a guy like that. And I know that uh, some of the listeners do as well. Uh, my teammate, Chris Kelly, actually, um, has mentioned to me... Uh, that's I think I think that's one of his favourite parts of the podcast is hearing from kind of the older guard, as it were. So um, let's wrap it up for this week. Uh, you haven't had much of a chance today uh, to do uh, this day in baseball history for bubble no, baseball, it's have you? So, so um, you but we've, we found we right, found a good one. You you do this day in baseball. Yeah, we found a good one today uh, on this date in uh, 1957. Uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers. And the New York Giants were given permission to move to the West Coast. Uh, obviously, they play in LA and San Francisco now. Um, I think that moment changed the face of baseball in a drastic way. Um, obviously, the Yankees, Dodgers and Giants, they were at each other's throat for decades for dominance in New York, the largest market. I think, yeah, I think that affected baseball more than people even, I think, realise these days. Uh, if you, I mean, imagine if the Dodgers weren't in LA. Imagine if the Giants weren't in San Francisco. If they were still in New York, would the Yankees be what they are now? I think they would. I, I think uh, you still have a major market. So, but I think there was a race to California to be the first team in California. So, I mean, there had always been the Pacific Coast League. So you had the San Francisco Seals, and, and then of course in LA you had the LA Angels. So. There's always been baseball there, but I think it, you know it was time to have a professional team that way. Awesome, man. Let's uh, wrap it up there. We are on all the social media. You can find us on Facebook at Ballcaps and Bagpipes. You can find us on Twitter at Caps and Pipes. 
You can hit up uh, Jason at Bubba on Baseball, both uh, on Twitter and Facebook. And obviously, I do urge you to visit his store, dugoutclassics.com. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at John Caps Pipes. And uh, certainly, we urge you to like, subscribe, share the show at your chosen platform. We're pretty much everywhere. Um, you can leave us a voice message at our anchor page. It's uh, anchor.fm slash caps and pipes. And uh, yeah, uh, there's nothing more to say nope, really than thanks that. Thanks all for listening. Uh, we hope to talk to you guys next week. Thanks very much for listening, guys. We hope to have another great guest on next time. Uh, stay safe. And uh, it looks like from the news that we got today about the first phase of uh, finally getting out of lockdown that things are starting to look up in Scotland. So hopefully we'll have uh, more to talk about in the coming weeks and uh, hopefully we'll get some games in before the before the summer ends, <laughs> which is usually, it yeah, could be exactly. any time well, in Scotland. Like I said, if, if, if something happens maybe in come July, you, know, there, you could get two or three months of the season mm-hmm. still in. Yeah, I mean, as you you were saying the other day, actually, when we were chatting, uh, even if we do get July, August, September, that's three months of games. That's a at least a twelve game season that we could potentially fit in, and if we play double headers, which you know we do quite often, I think we wouldn't have any problems with that. We could pretty much get yeah, more you, or less you could probably a get about in. sixteen games in, which if assuming there's no rainouts, and that's still a full season. Yeah, so here's hoping, fingers crossed, and uh, we'll leave it in the capable hands of Mister Convoy to make the decision uh, when obviously we have the all clear to to get back to normal on what kind of season we will end up having um, thanks very much uh, for joining us again guys and uh, right, I'll catch you next week same time same place bye bye bye